0: hello welcome to the podcast psychiatry talk i'm dr michael bluenfield the sydney e. frank distinguished professor emeritus of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at new york medical college and currently in private practice in woodland hills los angeles california this podcast will examine various topics in psychiatry and mental health this will include new interviews with experts in various areas as well as interviews I've recorded in the past. I will also personally discuss subjects that I've written about in my blog, psychiatrytalk.com, or on new topics. Your comments will always be welcome at mblumenfield at gmail.com. That's mblumenfield, B-L-U-M-E-N-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. And now let's get going with today's podcast. Uh, This is Dr. Michael Blumenfield, and my guest today is Dr. Norman Levy. Dr. Levy is Professor Emeritus of the State University of New York at Downstate Medical Center in Brooklyn, New York. He is also director Director of Psychiatry of the Southern California Mental Health Associates. He's President of the Psychonephrology Foundation, and previously he was Director of Psychiatry at Kingsborough Psychiatric Center and Director of Consultation Liaison Psychiatry at Coney Island Hospital and at New York Medical College. And he's currently in private practice in Beverly Hills. Welcome to Psychiatry Talk podcast, Dr. Levy.
1: It's my pleasure to be here.
0: Uh, so we're going to talk about your work with uh, the intersection of psychiatry and kidney disease. Uh, perhaps we can just... Uh, Uh, Start off with how did you get interested in becoming an expert on psychological problems of people with kidney disease?
1: Well, (laughs) I didn't think I would be an expert. It started back in the mid-60s at uh, the Kings County Hospital Center in Brooklyn, New York, where I was a junior member of the staff and the Department of uh, Nephrology received a large grant from the National Institute of Health to start a small uh, center hemodialysis uh, program in which they would be dialyzing uh, five to seven patients at a time. At that time, uh, this was the beginning of treatment of uh, kidney failure Previously, everybody with kidney failure eventually died, and this offered an opportunity for people to live uh, certainly many years, at least several years, if not many years longer, um, and um, being accepted to the program was a difference between living or dying. So the decision on the part of the nephrology staff to accept patients involved uh, giving life back to people. So the staff was interested in having psychiatric uh, input in making their decisions as to whom they should accept into their program. And I was a junior member, and my mentor and uh, senior person was Dr. Franz Reichsmann, and we both went into uh, this new program that we knew nothing about and we made behavioral observations and came to some conclusions and uh, we were one of the earliest to do that and we gained the reputation of being experts in the area.
0: So uh, just to recount for the... uh for listeners who may not be completely familiar with kidney disease and uh, and dialysis so the kidneys begin to fail and they, they can't detoxify the substances and and uh, the person can die from this condition and uh, and there's only one way to save their life and that is to put them on this machine is that that's essentially what we 're talking about right
1: right essentially the machine it's uh, an osmotic in uh, an
0: osmotic process, uh, in which it removes uh, waste. And how often do the people have to be on this machine? In those days, it was uh, several times a week.
1: Uh, currently, uh, it's about three times a week.
0: Okay. And what kind of psychological problems might people have in this situation?
1: Well, probably a first problem would be delirium, because as they become more term is uremic, uh, with wastes accumulating, their state of consciousness becomes compromised. And uh, their entire um, body uh, proceeds to go into a process of precoma, eventually coma, and eventual death.
0: Right, and this precoma situation is they become confused. Would that be fair confused, to say? Confused, disoriented, uh,
1: much like a person with Alzheimer's.
0: Okay. But if they're on this dialysis machine a couple of times a week, the toxins, so to speak, are taken out of their body and their brain is normal and they can function relatively normally. Would that, would that be right?
1: That would be essentially correct.
0: But, but they still might have various types of psychological problems, uh, which is where you, you would come into and in your associates. Correct. So what kind of psychiatric or psychological problems do the people have uh, while they're on dialysis or in between the dialysis sessions?
1: Well, as mentioned, depression, anxiety. Uh, in addition to that, uh, there is uh, major sexual problems that these people have. There's a very high incidence of Uh, Impotence, inability to get or maintain erections in men, uh, and a decrease in uh, libido in both genders. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are also some major problems in rehabilitation because dialysis affords many people an opportunity to essentially um, declare themselves disabled and get out of the work that they're doing. Uh, For people who are not particularly happy with the work that they do, uh, this is an opportunity to essentially um, be free of it and uh, be in a compromised economic situation of being dependent upon disability payment or Social Security payments.
0: And uh, can you clarify this point about the Depression? uh Is this a biological depression, or are they depressed about the 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 circumstances of their life
1: well uh probably both uh, people who have a genetic uh, predis- predisposition to depression uh, certainly the onset of dialysis can precipitate uh Depression on that basis and a genetic basis. Uh, for others, it's a response to loss, and there are many losses, as mentioned, including the loss of um, of libido, uh, the loss of uh, work, uh, which is a very important uh, loss of uh, people's sense of masculinity or femininity are often connected with uh, their work activity. And uh, since most patients on dialysis do not work, uh, that could be a major uh, negative aspect to uh, kidney failure and its treatments.
0: Now, the patients are on dialysis. Uh, if you decide that they need uh, medication, let's say an antidepressive medication or an anti-anxiety medication, uh, are there any problems in prescribing these medications uh, due to their, their difficulty in, in detoxifying these medications?
1: Yes. Uh, this is an area in which... Uh, we do not know uh, that much about the pharmacology of. uh, I really should say we don't know as much as we'd like to know about the pharmacology of kidney failure but what we do know is that the uh, people uh, who have kidney failure generally require uh, two-thirds of the maximum dose should not receive more than two-thirds of the maximum dose of any medication uh, because their ability to detoxify and eliminate the end products of uh, the downgrading of the medication is compromised. Mm -hmm. Uh, In addition, you do not want to give the medication. You need to change that. You need to give special consideration to any medication which is eliminated entirely by the kidney, such as lithium. Fortunately, most uh, psychiatric active medications are eliminated by the liver with one exception being uh, lithium. So, it requires uh, special consideration.
0: Now, in regard to your, your work with the patients, uh, obviously you prescribe medication when needed and, and you also would do uh, psychotherapy when needed. Is that, is that correct?
1: Yes. Um, when uh, the patient is motivi- motivated for it, psychotherapy certainly can be very helpful.
0: Right. And, and when do you do the therapy? Do you do the therapy while they're on the dialysis or do they see you uh, separate times? How does that work? I mean, when I say you, I mean you and, and any other psychiatrist or, or mental health professional who works with uh, these patients.
1: Uh, most treatments occur while people are being dialyzed or immediately after or before it. Reason being, these people already feel overdoctored and they're somewhat reticent about making yet another visit to a mental health professional outside of the time that they actually go for dialysis. So most
0: treatments occur either during dialysis or before or after it. And do you need special training to treat these type of problems? Uh, Well, it would be helpful
1: for the person uh, who treats them to know something about the process uh, and uh, know something about the uh, uh, common side effects, psychological side effects. Yes, it would be helpful for them to know a little bit more, but uh, I would say most uh, behaviorists uh, could treat these people.
0: So obviously, you, you don't have to be a psychiatrist to treat a patient who has, that's who not, has these uh, conditions. That's uh-huh. not now, now, do you get involved in working with a patient who might need a, a renal transplant, who might need a kidney transplant?
1: Fortunately, most people who receive a kidney transplant, which is successful, uh, resume a near, a near normal life. Uh, it's certainly the most desirable or the more desirable uh, treatment. Uh, their psychological problems are less Uh, they do have sexual side effects um, but to a lesser degree uh, they also suffer from uh, their anxieties connected with um, the question of uh, how long the transplant will continue to uh, be operative since eventually uh, all transplants eventually are, rege- are rejected.
0: Uh-huh. E- but, e- even if it's from an identical twin? <laughs> yes, but
1: they usually die of other illnesses right. Before, right. before rejection actually occurs.
0: Now, now the... the this good take they
1: can live a relatively long um, life.
0: Now, the transplant, as I understand it, could come from a, a relative or somebody who died, or how does it work?
1: Well, person that not, not only needs to have uh, compatible blood types, but they also have, need to be somewhat genetically similar. Uh, so, uh, if there is a, a good match, uh, it can be either a live person a, a relative you know of course ideally identical twin uh, because that's the closest genetic uh, connection <laughs> between two people but it can be an absolute stranger or it can be a cadaver uh-huh. that a cadaver meaning somebody who died somebody who died and whose uh, kidney has been uh, taken from them uh, shortly after their death
0: right and and that's why on people's driver's license it sometimes will say uh, uh, do you uh, give permission to uh, to give your kidney if you should uh, suddenly die
1: yes Mm -hmm. yes exactly
0: right now does the mental health professional get involved in interviewing the donors uh, who are donating their kidney and why they're donating it and and things like that? Uh, Well,
1: you know, the old saying is don't look look a gift horse in the mouth. Uh. Uh, Usually, a person who donates a kidney is not questioned. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, there are circumstances in which uh, that might not be so. For example, if a very young person wants to Donated kidney. The question would be why. I assume it would occur primarily with a
0: close relative,
1: but generally not questions.
0: Do do, uh, do the recipients uh, if it's a cadaver uh, a cadaver kidney? Do the recipients want to meet? Do they often want to meet the family of the people, or does the family want to meet the the recipient? Can you give us an insight into the dynamics of such an issue? Uh, Yes.
1: Uh, It it varies from person to person, Uh, but it usually occurs uh, after the uh, kidney is uh, uh, received and uh, it it takes well and the person uh, resumes active life uh, m- many people become very curious concerning whose kidney do I have, and to what degree have I been changed as a result of having somebody else's uh, part of somebody else's body in me. So there is a curiosity on part of some people. Other people uh, again uh, don't uh, look a guest in the mouth and just accept. Uh, what they have and don't question anything about it.
0: When people uh, bring up the question whether or not they've been changed, do they mean psychologically changed because of the kidney? And is that possible?
1: Well, people (laughs) wonder. (laughs) I've heard uh, people who, (laughs) a man receiving a woman's kidney asking me whether they were, now have to sit when they urinate rather than stand when they urinate uh-huh. people become very confused concerning changes that can occur in their
0: body right and, so, and just to clarify there's there's no no uh psychological change by receiving somebody's kidney correct as well as psychological change yes right There's no psychological change. In other words, the kidney itself doesn't... In reality, there's none, but there's a certain question on that part as to whether there would be. Right, and that that would become important to explore. Uh, Can people uh, buy a kidney? Or can people sell their kidney?
1: Yes, people do sell
0: their kidneys. It's not
1: legal in most countries, including the United States. You're not supposed to do it. Uh, There's some question about why it should be that way since uh, we're a very capitalistic country and um, it's another form of capitalism.
0: Uh Uh,
1: But uh, it's certainly against the law uh, on moral grounds. Uh, However, in uh, underdeveloped countries, either... Uh, because there is no law or the law is not adequately enforced, uh, the sale of organs is not uncommon.
0: Oh.
1: Uh, in particular, India, uh, in which a person can essentially receive a considerable amount of money and uh, uh, change their family life as a result of the donation.
0: Well, that uh, that sounds like an interesting uh, story. So, from time to time, you've you've seen patients who have actually bought their kidney in another country. Yes. Well, um, I know that you have. You were very instrumental in in uh, founding the Psychonephrology Foundation. I wonder if you can tell us about how that came about. Well, a group of us who made some early observations.
1: Uh, uh, two other people other than myself, Harry Abram and Tara Denor. Harry was at Vanderbilt University in the US and uh, Dr. Denor was a professor of psychiatry in Israel uh, all of whom, uh, all three of us were among the early people making these observations decided that it would be a good idea to bring people together In an international conference and discuss and educate people working in this area about um, uh, psychological aspects of uh, dialysis and transplantation. And as a result, we set up a foundation and uh, gave a total of uh, 13 uh, international conferences health every other year, the last of which was in the year 2000.
0: I see. So in other words, it, it, the the foundation has been dormant. Is that uh, fair to say? Correct. Yes. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. And um, I want to thank you very much, Dr. Levy, for talking to us today about uh, psychonephrology and the interface between uh, kidney disease and psychiatry and mental health. I think it's been a very uh, interesting talk, and uh, and I appreciate your coming here. Well,
1: thank you so much for having me. It's been fun discussing it with you.
0: Okay, this concludes today's podcast. Your comments are always welcome at mblumenfield at gmail dot com. That's m b l u m e n f i e l d at gmail.com. This is Dr. Michael Bluenfield wishing you a pleasant day.